It's good to see so many here this morning, and we have several visitors with us, and we're certainly glad to have you with us and invite you to be back anytime that you, uh, that you can. We do want to, again, extend our appreciation to all of our veterans and, and their service and keeping us safe and keeping us free in this country. It truly is a blessing to be able to live here and to enjoy the freedoms that we have, and we could not do that without the sacrifice of so many. So we honor and appreciate you. Just a reminder again of the funeral service tomorrow afternoon at 2 o'clock for uh, Janice Miller. Uh, of course, Norman and Janice, such an important part of this congregation for a, for a very long time. And uh, those, that you, those of us that knew them knew that Janice was the backbone and uh, really, really uh, was behind Norman and, and kind of kept him... Uh, organized as it were. And so uh, uh, she was very important to us as well. And we certainly have missed her uh, and will, of course, continue to miss her. Visitation will be here at the building at one o'clock tomorrow and then the funeral service at two o'clock. We have been for several weeks already in the little letter uh, we know as First John. And one of the things that we've looked at week to week is that John tells us in his letter the reason that he writes it. And in uh, chapter 1 and verse 4, he says, we write these things to make our joy complete. Go ahead, Jamie. And then in chapter 2 and verse 1, he says, my dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. And then in chapter 4, if I can get there. Well, where is it? Ah, chapter 2 and verse 26. There it is. It says, I am writing these things to you about those who are trying to lead you astray. And then in chapter 5, he says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. And so from the very first week, we've noticed that there were certain principles that John writes to us to make sure that we understand that these things are important or these things matter. And first of all, he tells us that doctrine matters. And we talked about that, the idea that it's not just enough to know or just enough to believe anything. What we believe does matter. And uh, he's coming to this letter. One of his reasons for writing this letter was to refute some false doctrine that, were, that was out there. Some things that were being taught to the people that, that he loved. Some things that were leading them astray. And he wanted to make sure that they understood what was true and what was real. And to watch out for those false teachers. And then he says, besides that, holiness matters. We cannot say that we have fellowship with God. That we are God's children. That we love God. That we know God. And then live our lives contrary to what God says. He says if you do that, one of two things happens. Actually, two things happen at the same time. Number one, you make God out to be a liar. And number two, you're a liar. Woo! Pretty strong language. And so John says how we live our lives matters as well. And then in the latter chapters, he does talk about the fact that love matters. We cannot say that we love God, and this really ties into the holiness, sort of. But we cannot say that we love God and hate our brothers and sisters. 
We cannot say that we love our brothers and sisters and say it only with words and not demonstrate it. So he's going to go on and, and explain all of that in a little bit. And then he says that confidence matters. I am grateful and thankful and feel blessed that we live in a different era of teaching than what I grew up with, to be honest with you. I'm glad that we can understand and accept God's love. And we can understand and accept God's grace and forgiveness. And we can understand that my salvation, or I can understand that my salvation is not an in and out and up and down and maybe and sometimes and yesterday yes, today no, and next hour maybe. and No. But John comes along and says, I write these things to you, believe, so that you can know that you have eternal life. So that there can be no question in your mind. And that seems so foreign to many of us because that's not the way we were taught. That's not the way we were raised. And the idea to say, yes, I know I am saved seems extremely boastful and proud. But John says it's okay because we're not boasting in ourselves. I'm not proud in what I have done. I am boasting in the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I am boasting in God's faithfulness and his promises. And of those we can be sure. We can have confidence. And so those are the things that John has been writing about or is writing about. We talked a little bit a couple of weeks ago about fellowship with God. And it's a continuation of what is necessary to have that fellowship with God. We want to have fellowship with God. We understand that we need to have fellowship with God. Well, what does it take to maintain that fellowship with God? So if you have your Bibles this morning, let's begin at chapter 1 and verse 8. He says, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word has no place in our lives. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. So John wants to make us understand that Sin is a reality. Did you notice in just those few verses? Eight times. Eight. Eight times John uses the word sin or sin. Well, if he uses that word eight times in such a short little passage, we maybe kind of ought to understand a little bit about sin and think about it a bit. The message that John was writing was in direct conflict 
with the false teachers of John's day. Now, remember, we talked about this when we did our introduction. But one of the false teachings that was being taught to the people that John loved, his dear children in the Lord, was that there was an absolute division, separation between the physical and the spiritual. And the two had nothing to do with each other. The physical, the earthly, and all of that, all of it was evil and was yucky and, and you know, and all of that. And then the spiritual was all good and all righteous. So as long as, this is the way the thinking went, as long as I have fellowship with God, as long as I am spiritual, as long as I am right with God spiritually, then it doesn't matter what I do physically. It doesn't matter what I do in the body. As long as I claim God as my Father and Jesus as my Lord and Savior, then I can go out and I can live my life contrary to God's will. And whatever I do in the flesh does not affect my salvation. Well, you know what? We see a similar attitude in our society today. The idea that we want to say that we love God. We want to claim that we follow God. We want to, you know, have that religious atmosphere about us. But we want to do what we want to do. And we want to live our own way. And we want to do those things that maybe we know are contrary to God's will. But you know, I can go ahead and do those things. And it really doesn't affect the fact that Jesus is my Lord. And what John comes along and says is, that's a bunch of baloney. That's ridiculous. You cannot say that you love God and have fellowship with God or know God. And then live your lives contrary to God. And it's as if he was speaking to our world today, even though he was speaking to those people thousands of years ago who were being taught a similar false doctrine. Essentially, there's no such thing as sin. John comes along and says, you want to make a bet? (laughs) Eight times in these short verses, he uses the word sin. And so the first thing we want to look at this morning is what sin is. We we use it, we talk about it. Sin is as old as mankind itself. It first appears in the garden. As Adam and Eve eat of the forbidden fruit, God said, you know, you have everything. Everything in the garden is yours. But that one tree in the middle, stay away from it. Don't eat of it. And sure enough, Adam and Eve both eat of the fruit that God had told them not to. And sin entered the world. In Psalm 51, David writes this psalm after his sin with Bathsheba and the murder of Uriah, her husband. And you remember the story, David sins with Bathsheba and she ends up pregnant and he gets to figure out what to do. And he tries a bunch of things and they don't work. And so he essentially has Uriah put at the very front line of the army. 
and then has the army basically withdraw from him. So he's like the only target for the enemy. And Uriah is killed. And David thinks he's gotten away with it. How many times have we sinned and thought we got away with it? Thought no one knew. Thought no one would find out. How'd that work out for us? Most of the time, not so well. And with David, not so well. The prophet comes to David and tells a parable, and we remember that. And eventually says to David, you are the man. You have sinned against God. And so in Psalm chapter 51, this is, God, this is David's psalm of repentance to God. And in the first two verses, he says, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. In those two verses, David uses three words to describe the same thing. But they all have a little different meaning, which gives us a little insight into sin and what David is talking about and about sin in our lives. And the first word is the word sin. He uses the word sin. And those of us that have been around the church or whatever, you know, we've heard that definition of sin being to miss the mark. And that's what the word originally meant. Meant It was a hunting term. Back in the day, you go out with your bow and with your arrow. And, you know, you see the deer or the hog or the whatever it is you're, you're trying to, to kill. And you reach back and you let go of the arrow. And you miss the mark. Arrow goes off or hits the ground or whatever. And you miss the mark. Well, I understand that. Last year, right after Christmas, me and my two sons-in-law, we'd, uh, we're, we're going hunting, duck hunting. As you know, my, not Jeremy, he's into it, but not like my other son-in-law who, you know, is really into it. And so we're going up to Paris and we're going, uh, and we got a guide and they're taking us out, you know, and, and we're going to go duck hunting. And, and so the three of us are there, you know, and we're waiting and the sun is just about to begin to rise. And the guide says, okay, it's shooting light. We can, we can shoot. And about that time, a flock of 400 ducks start coming in. Well, that's what it looked like. I mean, I've never seen so many ducks in one place at one time. And so he's, the, the guide is telling us, wait, 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 wait. And then they get right in front of us and he says, shoot. Now three of us, and we each had a three-shot shotgun. My mathematics says that's nine shots. Not a single duck. The guide looked at us and said, this is going to take forever. (laughs) Now, in all fairness, they came down into the, you know, with the woods in the background and the shadow. And it was really hard to see them. That's my excuse and I'm sticking to it. But all that shooting. And we missed the mark. The Bible tells us that sin is missing God's mark. 
And you want to know what God's mark is? Perfection. Whoa, wait a minute. No, 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 not perfection. Really? Be ye holy. Well, okay, that's cool. As I am holy. Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, be ye, and I'm King Jamesing it, be ye perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Whoa. You mean that's the mark that God has set out for us? That he wants us to hit is perfection? Yes, it is. That's what we ought to be striving for. That's what we ought to want in our lives. Now we'll get to the when we miss the mark part in a minute. But the mark is there. And we ought to aspire to that. We ought to want that holiness. We ought to want that perfection in our lives. The second word that David used in Psalm 51 is the word transgression. And that is a very simple definition. It means to cross the line. Wow. Well, we get that. We watch enough sports. I I don't, you know, can't think of hardly any sport that doesn't have a line. You know, you cross the line, you're out of bounds. You know, you cross the line. If it goes on this side of the line, it's a foul ball in baseball, whatever the case may be. We all kind of get that. I was watching. I know you're going to be totally stunned at this. But I watched a few football games yesterday. I know, shocking, right? And I can't tell you how many instant replays, challenges they went to, to see if the runner stepped on that line or not. And they were blowing it up and magnifying it 5,000 times. And could you see a grain of grass between his foot and the white line? And they were going to all this trouble just to see, was he out of bounds? Did he cross the line? Now, you know, I understand that for some people, you know, football is really important. But in the grand scheme of things, if you step on the line, it's no big deal. But if you're at the demilitarized zone between North and South Korea. And you step over that line. That gets real serious real quick. And when we step over God's line, that gets real serious real quick. Now, I've told you before, I understand that uh, redundancy or repetitiveness, you know, it just helps us learn. But when I was younger, I thought the definition of a strong Christian was to see how close or was to get as close to the line as possible without going over. That was my definition of a strong, committed Christian. Look how close I can get to God's line without going over. Wow, has my perspective changed 180 degrees. I now realize that a truly strong, committed, mature Christian 
is not the one that sees how close to the line they can get, but how far away from the line they can get. You know, there are some lines that I may be tempted to cross. I've mentioned this before, but, you know, I play some tennis. And if you serve and you cross the line, it's called a foot fault. Okay? I've been playing tennis 50 years. And I can promise you this. I have never, not one single time, foot faulted. In tennis. How can you be so sure? How can you be so confident? Because when I go up to the line to serve, I don't put my foot next to the line. I'm always three or four or five inches behind the line just to make sure that I don't. And that's the way we ought to be as Christians. Not seeing how close to the line we get, but how far away from it we get. If we really understood what sin was, we would want to stay away from that line. If that line represented a snake pit, I'm not saying how close I can get to that line. If that line represented the drop off of the Grand Canyon, I am not seeing how close to that line I can get. But for some reason, when that line represents sin, We want to see how close we can get to it. See if we can just edge on up to it without going over. The problem with getting as close to the line as possible is then it doesn't take much to knock us over the line. Doesn't take much to knock us over the line and Satan knows that. So sin and transgression, and the third word David used in Psalm 51 is the word iniquity. I love that word. I don't know why. I just do. I like that word. And the word itself means a twisting. And I like that because, and and I think it fits because you got the Q and the I and they kind of twist, you know, or whatever. And it just seems like the right word to, to fit. But iniquity is the word, it means twisting. And you think, well, what does that have to do with sin? It's the twisting that goes on up here. We call it rationalization. It goes in here. We know it's wrong. We know God said don't do it. We know we shouldn't, but we want to. And so we let it go through here and we let it twist around in our brain and we let society or Satan or whatever kind of talk us through. And by the time it comes out here, we've convinced ourselves it's okay. That it's all right. That is the very thing that King Saul did. You remember King Saul? Twice. He did things that were contrary to God's will. He offered a sacrifice when he wasn't authorized to offer a sacrifice. And the prophet came and said, what are you doing? And Saul said, well, the men were kind of, you know, deserting. And I was afraid we wouldn't have any army left. So I felt like the best thing to do would be a go. You see, he knew it was wrong. But he twisted it all up and it came out here okay. And then God tells King Saul, I want you to go and I want you to defeat and destroy the Amalekites. Everything. 
Every animal, every soldier, don't save anything or anyone. And he comes back with some of the sheep and the cattle and the king. And again, the prophet goes out to him and says, dude, I'm, this is not exact quotation. What are you thinking? What are you doing? And Saul says, well, I did what God told me to do. And the prophet says, then why do I hear sheep and cattle? And why do I see the king? Oh, well, I thought we'd bring them back and have a big sacrifice to God. But I did what God said. And the prophet is just like, you know, are you an idiot? That's not what he said, but it's close. You, you didn't do what God said. What part of kill everything did you not understand? But you see, he thought, well, you know, I'll do it. And, and when it came out here, it was okay for him to do it. And the thing about Saul is he never got it. He never got it. That's the difference between him and David. Now, if I were to ask you, which is worse? Offering a sacrifice to God, even though you weren't technically allowed to do that. Saving some sheep and cattle to offer to God. Or sleeping with another man's wife, getting her pregnant and having him killed. On our scale of, you know, which is worse? Well, it's got to be David, right? Got to be sleeping with another man's wife, getting her pregnant and having her husband killed. And yet David was forgiven. And the kingdom was torn away from Saul. Why? It wasn't because of what they did. It's how they reacted to what they did. How they reacted to the sin. David writes that Psalm 51 where he says, I am so, I did it and I sinned against you and I want to never do it again. And please cleanse me and please wash me and please make me right. And Saul goes, I didn't do nothing wrong. What are you so upset about? It's the difference. Does that describes a little bit what sin is. And then we move along to what does sin do? What sin does? Dealing with sin is important because of its consequences. First and foremost, sin separates us from God. Isaiah chapter 59, verses 1 and 2 says, Surely the arm of the Lord is not too short to save, nor is ear too dull to hear, but your iniquities have separated you from God. Your sins have hidden his face from you. We see that separation from the very beginning. Adam and Eve sin in the garden. And what's the consequence? They are put out of the garden. That relationship that God had with mankind that that then was Adam and Eve was destroyed. It was not the same. And as we read through the Old Testament, when we were doing the the story and some different things, we read through the, we understood and we saw that part of the whole Israelite religion that God was putting on was to demonstrate the separation between him and the people. Don't you come on this mountain. Don't you touch this mountain. I will appear one time a year only in the Holy of Holies. 
You want to come to me, you got to go through my priest. You got to offer all these sacrifices. You got to do all these things because there is a separation between you and me. Almighty God. And not until Jesus Christ was that separation taken care of. Over and over again in the Bible, it tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and Galatians chapter 5, Revelation chapter 21. They list these things. Don't be deceived. These people who do these things and then all these lists of sins. The people who practice these things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Because sin separates us from God. And God cannot be around the sin. Secondly, sin separates us from each other. Remember verse 7 in 1 John. If we are walking in the light as he's in the light, we have fellowship with one another. Living our lives contrary to God's will puts up a wall of secrecy, of shame and resentment between us and God's family. You You know the old thing, you know, which came first? The chicken or the egg? You know, there have been times in my ministry, in my work with church and relationships with people that, you know, I don't know necessarily always what comes first. Sometimes people withdraw from the church and then get involved in sin. But sometimes... People get involved in sin and then withdraw from the church. You see, if we continue to live in sin, it is going to be very difficult for us to have fellowship with each other. It's going to be difficult to have fellowship with other Christians who are trying to live the right life. If we have any kind of a conscience at all, maybe we don't, but if we do, It is going to be difficult to worship God. It is going to be difficult to be around our church family. If we are deliberately and continually continuing to live in sin. Thirdly, sin destroys lives. God's laws are not arbitrary. God's intent is not to keep us from joy. His commandments are for our protection and for our blessing. Jesus said that he came not just to give us life, but to give us life to the full abundantly. God's not trying to cheat us. God is not trying to make us miss out. God is telling us the best possible way to live our lives. And to have true joy and true fulfillment. How many homes and marriages and lives have we seen destroyed because of sin? Sin destroys lives. So we've talked about what sin is. We've talked about what sin does. And now we need to talk briefly about what the solution to sin is. John seems to be walking a very fine philosophical and theological line. I don't know if you caught that while we were reading it. But if if you're not careful, you may kind of go, he's contradicting himself. Because on the one hand, John says, 
Don't sin. Right? In fact, he says that's one of the reasons he wrote it. I write these things to you so that you do not sin. And then he says, but don't say you don't sin. Hey, John, one or the other, bud. That doesn't make any sense. You're telling me not to sin, but then you're telling me not to say that I don't sin. That's a double negative, but I think it's in there correctly. Right? Don't say you don't sin. You do, but don't sin. John, what are you talking about? Don't sin is the goal. That's the perfection. That's what we were talking about, about missing the mark. Jesus said that we should be perfect. Jesus said, hunger and thirst for righteousness. Have a pure heart. Be holy as God is holy. That should be our desire. That should be our life's mission. But when we fail, when we fall, when we sin, we repent and we confess. And we humbly seek God's forgiveness We pick ourselves up. We resolve to do better. We mourn over our sins. We never take them lightly. We can have confidence of this because not only confession and repentance, but ultimately because of Jesus Christ. John says that he is our atoning sacrifice. He paid the debt. He has bridged the gap between justice and mercy. But we cannot, John says, use that sacrifice as an excuse to continue to sin. We've walked away from that life. We don't live that way anymore. You remember Paul put it this way. Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid, he said. How can you even think that way? After all that God has done for us, after all that Jesus has done for us, how could we deliberately continue to sin? And he says, you can't. If we're deliberately continuing to sin, defying God's commandments and his will, cannot have fellowship with him. Cut and dry. Pretty simple. No matter what the world tells us, No matter what others around us say, sin is real and it destroys our fellowship with God. The next time we find ourselves taking our sin lightly. Ah, well, not that big a deal. Ah, messed up. Remember that it was that sin. That sent Jesus to the cross. If that was the only sin ever committed in the world. I think God would have sent his son to die on the cross for that sin. If sin is so important. That God the father would send his son. To die that horrific death on the cross. Then we should never make light of sin. We should never try to ignore it. We should never try to explain it away. We should never try to rationalize it. But when we sin, if we come to God and confess and repent and commit ourselves to walking in the light, then he will forgive us. 
through the sacrifice of Jesus and his blood. So John wants us to make sure we understand sin is real and sin is serious. And how we deal with sin in our lives ultimately decides whether or not we truly have fellowship with God. If you're here this morning in some way we can help or encourage you, we invite you to come now as we stand and as we sing. We hope by listening to this lesson, you have found a better understanding of the Bible. And through that better understanding, find a closer relationship with God and His Son, Jesus Christ, our living Savior. If you have any questions or desire more information, please feel free to contact us here at the Dangerfield, Texas Church of Christ. You can find us at dfield.org. That's D-F-I-E-L-D-C-O-C dot O-R-G. Or you can email at dfieldcoc779 at aol.com. Or you can call us at 903-645-2896. If you are local to the Dangerfield area, we would love an opportunity to meet you and encourage you in person at 818 West W.M. Watson Boulevard, Dangerfield, Texas, 75638. Our meeting times are Sunday mornings at 9.30 a.m. for Bible class and 10.30 a.m. for worship service, Sunday evening at 6 p.m. for worship service, and Wednesday evening at 6.30 p.m. for our midweek Bible class. Grace and peace be with you always.